pray that your spirit be working even now, transforming us more and more into the likeness of your son. As you send us out from here, the end of our gathering, may we live and work to your praise and glory. Shine as lights in a dark world. In Jesus' name, amen. 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 Have a seat. And uh, if you want to pick up a Bible, you'll find them on the uh, tables by the pillars. We're in the book of Acts, chapter 6. It's um, page 1036. 1036. Sorry, if you're new, visiting, just as you're finding that, I, I'm Tim, I'm the vicar here. It's really good to see you. Add my welcome to, to Justin uh, and uh, to Lydia as they were leading earlier on. We're just finishing off a series, teaching series we've been doing for the last few weeks, uh, loosely entitled God's Heart for the Poor, uh, for any who in some way, shape or form are disadvantaged, in need, uh, feeling themselves excluded from the love of God, which rails against his heart. Uh, we, we've kind of had attempts at defining what we mean by, by poverty, uh, those of us who experience uh, a lack in some way. Uh, it could be physical, it could be uh, spiritual. Those who've not had an opportunity to respond to the love of God are in some way impoverished. Um, it could be aspirational, people who, who have an, an ability or a desire or a yearning and yet because of circumstances around them, maybe at home, school, uh, just the, the, the local environment, they're prevented from doing what God has made them to do. So in, in whatever way people are disadvantaged or impoverished. And uh, last week, Lydia, she looked at how God, through the Old Testament prophets, railed at his people, uh, Amos and others. Uh, his anger burns when people are excluded from his provision and his love, when there is injustice in whatever way, shape or form. So let's see. Uh, with a little snapshot in the New Testament church. That was the Old Testament last week. So post-Jesus and the, the Jesus movement, the church, as it's birthed, what is its posture towards the poor? And therefore, I hope as I bring our series to a conclusion, we can see for us today in, in, the, in the sort of um, the inheritance of New Testament church, it's what we aspire to be, its values, its model, its practice then uh, what is the implication for us? So let's look at this little uh, excerpt in uh, the life of the church. Acts chapter 6, I'm going to read the first seven verses. In those days, when the number of disciples was increasing, the Hellenistic Jews among them complained against the Hebraic Jews because their widows were being overlooked in the daily distribution of food. So the twelve gathered all the disciples together and said... It would not be right for us to neglect the ministry of the word of God in order to wait on tables. Brothers and sisters, choose seven men from among you who are known to be full of the spirit and wisdom. We will turn this responsibility over to them and will give our attention to prayer and the ministry of the word. This proposal pleased the whole group. They chose Stephen, a man full of faith and of the Holy Spirit. Also Philip. Prochorus, Nicanor, Timon, Parmenas, and Nicholas from Antioch, a convert to Judaism. They presented them to the apostles who prayed 
and laid their hands on them. So the word of God spread. The number of disciples in Jerusalem increased rapidly and a large number of priests became obedient to the faith. Tempting to make a silly comment about that last sentence, but uh, with that it were true today. But um, in the Church of England at least, anyway, uh, as we pray for our church. But uh, God's Spirit moving powerfully and in uh, a, a specific way in his church back then. God's heart for the poor through the New Testament church. What are we to conclude from this passage? Well, um, something that we've touched on earlier. In fact, if you just flick back at a couple of pages, Acts chapter 2. And these are, these are, we've read these recently. And I'm sure they're familiar to you. Little sort of summaries of this explosion of God's church. Um, and we see in verse 43 of chapter 2, everyone was filled with awe, the many wonders and signs performed. All the believers, verse 44, were together and had everything in common. They sold property and possessions to give to anyone who had need. So if there was need expressed amongst the uh, early church, then they worked hard to meet that need. See verse 34 of chapter 4, just over the page. God's grace was powerfully at work with them. There was no needy person among them. For from time to time, those who owned land or houses sold them and bought the money for sales and put them at the apostles' feet. Radical acts of sacrifice uh, aimed at inclusion. No one in need. Uh, and I don't know about you, reading that, the, the early church, meeting all the issues of need. And, and I, I realize, and this is a, a bit of a confession, I realize that... Um, I've become anaesthetized to the reality of the times, of what the New Testament church was doing and, and the context, who they were meeting, the needs they were meeting. Anaesthetized, I guess, by my own context and my own circumstances. Um, I'll, I'll wake up tomorrow, having had a, a good night's sleep in a, a warm bed, I'll have snuggled under my duvet. Uh, if it rains or snows, I'll have, I'll have been sheltered from whatever the elements throw at me. And I'll wake up tomorrow morning and I won't even think about, will I have three square meals tomorrow? Because I just, I, I kind of know that I will. Even if I open the cupboard and it's, it's bare, I'll just pop out to Waitrose and, and get something to eat. With the money that I have in my back pocket, I don't have to think about, gosh, can I afford to have a vegetable soup? Even if it is on special offer. The answer is yes, I can. I've just read scripture to you. That's because I've received an education. I can read and I can think. I can conceive ideas. And that, just those, those facts that I take for granted of myself makes me one of the most privileged individuals in this world. And us too. I know it's all relative. I know it's all relative. But, but we are, in general, and in relative to the world, we're, we're incredibly wealthy. We take so much for granted. I take so much basic things for granted that bordering on millions of people in different ways don't have. And that, that has, that's reduced the impact of scripture as I read it. They gave to everyone who had need. And what happens, so I realize that as I've sort of meditated on this, read and thought and, and allowed scripture to interrogate me, what I've realized is that I, I read that as could someone lend me a tenner? Or is it possible you could give me a lift to wherever? And we go, oh yeah, I could give you a lift. Oh yeah, here's a tenner. 
and will meet the needs. It was far deeper than relatively superficial needs that were going on. Again, let me back that up with, with scripture. Just back in chapter 2, on the day of Pentecost, the, the church was exploded into life on the day of Pentecost. 3,000 were added to their number that day. But where do those 3,000 come from? Well, we see just at the start of chapter 2, the day of Pentecost <coughs> came, they were all together in one place. And uh, Luke describes the, 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 the coming of the Spirit like a violent wind. But just look at verse 5 of chapter 2. Now there were staying in Jerusalem, God-fearing Jews from every nation under heaven. This was a major event. It was a sort of week-long, ten-day-long festival. And so they would leave their hinterlands and homes. And they would travel, sometimes days, maybe even weeks, to, to gather as God's kind of scattered people all around. Well, every nation under heaven, Luke says, in order to be in Jerusalem for this event. Jews from all over the place, God's people from all over the place. And we know at the end of that chapter, 3,000 committed themselves to, to God the Father through Jesus Christ. This Jesus whom you crucified, God has raised and made Lord and Saviour. And 3,000 responded to that number. And we, hit, we know right at the end of chapter 2 that the Lord added daily to their number those who were being saved. Now, I, we, it's not actually chapter and verse in here, but I don't believe that they can only have been Jews from Jerusalem who were being converted. If there were Jews from all over the world, and 3,000 on that day alone, and then the Lord adding daily to their number, I reckon that some of those must have been Jews converted from elsewhere, who stayed in Jerusalem, because that's where they, they sense this incredible power, this movement of God. This is what they've been waiting for. They've, the Messiah that they've longed for for centuries and centuries, it was Jesus. And we can now gather as the Messiah people. Why would I want to be anywhere else? So the early church, I reckon, included a number of migrants. People who no longer had a home of their own. People who, although skilled, maybe were out of work. And, and weren't able to put, as it were, bread on the table immediately. Who had need. Home, food, basic provision. So when we read that the early church attempted to meet the needs of everyone, I reckon they were genuine needs. Homeless people, hungry people. And the early Christians did all they could to meet their needs. But there were others with needs as well. Uh, in chapter 3, we read of uh, Peter and John healing the man who was crippled from birth outside the beautiful gate, one of the entrance into uh, the center of Jerusalem and, and the temple itself. And in the name of Jesus Christ, Peter commands the man to stand up and walk. He does. And he goes around leaping, praising at a miraculous healing. The crowd are amazed. But wait, th this guy had spent all his life kind of relying on the relative compassion of passers-by. And now, as it were, his whole life has, has changed. His, the reason why anyone might give him anything has, has now been wonderfully healed. It means... He's in a new kind of need, a wonderful need. But it describes in chapter 3 how he hangs on to Peter and John. Because in a sense, Peter and John, well, the Lord through Peter and John, that's all he's got in his new life. Who will, who will look out for him? Who will cater for him? How will he be included in the ongoing love of God the Father? People in real need. 
and the church looks to meet their needs. We read from chapter 7 onwards in Acts that the persecution um, intensified as the, the emperors and the empire became aware that there was this little band of people growing daily who worshipped someone else as Lord, not Caesar, not the emperor. But this crucified, uh, this crucified Jesus, I thought we got rid of him. And yet this body is growing. So in order to attempt the futility, to attempt to stamp it out, uh, many of the Christians, as we read, were carted off to martyrdom, to their death. Interestingly, uh, just as an aside, Tertullian, I think it is, various other um, contemporary historians at the time, they, they talk of how these Christians sort of carted off to certain death. They would be singing, their, singing praises, they were singing hymns, worshipping because uh, they knew they were, in, in losing their life here, they were gaining their life in Christ. Uh, it, was, it, was a, it was the best transfer. And they praised God, which confounded the authorities all the more. But for those that remained, as persecution increased, so too did poverty. It, it, poverty nearly always follows persecution. Just look around the world today. So genuine need experienced by the Christian church. Sorry. This isn't working out. Stop the press. <laughs> we've got, we've got, there's new technology, just a little aside. We've got, so we've got a screen there that was really helpful. We've got a new thing at the back and, and a new mic here. So I'm, I'm just sort of bedding in. Their response, the, ter- the response of the early church, they gave. They gave. In spontaneous way. So we see in Acts chapter 2, Acts chapter 4, they gave spontaneously. And they also gave in planned ways, in strategic ways. And I just want to look at this, in this little passage that we read here, chapter 6. Just to, um, I think it's worth going sort of behind the scenes here to see what was going on as the early church grows, develops, and looks to meet the needs, the genuine needs of others. In those days, Luke records, verse 1 of chapter 6, in those days when the number of disciples was increasing, the Hellenistic Jews among them complained against the Hebraic Jews because their widows were being overlooked in the daily distribution of food. There's a number of details in there that we could easily gloss over, but it's worth just looking at just for a moment. So in the daily distribution of food, we get, again, just another little oblique reference to the need that there was. Clearly, there were people who were gathering food, finding food, uh, and bringing food to the apostles uh, and, and those sort of in the center of the organization in order to distribute to those who were still hungry. I mean, it sort of, it'd be a little bit like food bank today, I guess. Okay, we've got some food here. Who's hungry? Who hasn't eaten for a while? Who, who's not eaten for a few days? We need to make sure that everyone is catered for basic needs. And, and we see that actually there's the beginnings of some discrimination going on. There are the Hellenistic Jews and the Hebraic Jews. And again, it backs up what I was saying earlier, that the early church was made up not just of Jews in Jerusalem. They were the kind of, if you like, the Orthodox Jews, the, the thoroughbred Jews, uh, the Hebraic ones. They, they would have spoken Aramaic or Hebrew. They would have held on to the the customs and traditions of God's people, Israel, as set out in Torah. They would have been the really, you know, the right on uh, uh, God followers. But there were, amongst their number, increasingly Jews from elsewhere, these Hellenistic or Greek Jews. Uh, they probably didn't speak uh, Hebrew. They probably spoke Greek. They probably dressed differently. They probably looked different. Uh, they, wouldn't have, uh, they wouldn't have held 
to the customs and traditions of the Jews, of the, of the Jerusalem Jews. And to be honest, the, the social commentators tell us that actually they would have been kind of looked down on a bit less authentic. There was a kind of social stigma to Jews from elsewhere. A kind of us and them element. And that, that's beginning to demonstrate itself in just daily practicalities. So there's so much food, various people in need, and it, it would appear, from what Luke describes here, that there was preference being given to the widows, those needy, elderly uh, women, lost a husband, and therefore no one directly to cater for them and care for them. It, it seems that preference is being given to the, the widows in, uh, of the Hebraic Jews and not the Hellenistic ones, so they complain. Comforting, I suppose, in, in a way, if we think about that for a moment, that even in the immediate aftermath of the outpouring of the Spirit, Jesus is, is still a living memory for most of these people. They, many of them will have met him or encountered him. And, and even in this new, fresh, powerful zeal of the early church, there's the potential for, for division. There's a potential for a kind of us and them. There's a potential in the hearts of the believers to prefer people like us. The, the Hebraic Jews kind of looking after their own and kind of discriminating slightly with those who are a little bit different from them. A challenge for the New Testament church as it is for us. That the church is not called to be a collection of PLUs of people like us, which we're naturally attracted to. We naturally have an affinity with people like us who share our interests or our background or our outlook. We're called to include everyone. That is the gospel of inclusion, everyone included. So the response of the, um, the 12, who are still kind of overseeing this, this growing movement, verse two, the 12 gathered all the disciples together and said, it would not be right for us to neglect the ministry of the word of God in order to wait on tables. Brothers and sisters, choose seven men from among you who are known to be full of the spirit and wisdom. We'll turn this responsibility over to them and give our attention to prayer and the ministry of the word. This stuff here is living and active. Again, let me confess, I'm familiar with this passage. I've, I've read sort of through Acts um, various times and I've up until this series and up until I've been sort of praying and thinking and meditating on God's heart for the poor I've always read this little bit this little administrative piece I've always read it like this that what the disciples decide to do is to prioritize the ministry of the word the most important thing is that the gospel gets out that we teach people uh, about how what was promised in Old Testament has been fulfilled in Jesus we will give our attention to prayer and the ministry of the word that's what we must do. So, oh gosh, look, um, let's sort all this. Let's sort this issue out. These widows and whatever. Let's sort that out so that we can get on with the main thing. But as I've been reading and reflecting on this afresh, whilst I don't think I don't think the apostles thought that the ministry of the word, the sharing of the gospel, wasn't important. It clearly was. They also thought that this issue that had arisen. And the caring for these Hellenistic widows was equally as important. Look what they decide to do. 
Verse 3, choose seven from among you who are known to be full of the Spirit and wisdom. If there were seven who were known to be full of the Spirit and wisdom, wouldn't it make sense to, to have them teaching and affecting the ministry of the word? But they, they say, choose wise and spirit-filled people for, and you see what Luke calls it, for this responsibility. This is not just a, you know, oh, a kind of hindrance or a slight inconvenience. No, this is a responsibility to ensure that the widows from the people who are not like us are cared for. That's a responsibility. And it's such a responsibility. We need spirit-filled, wise people to ensure that it happens. So that as well as this vital ministry, we can also carry on with the ministry of the word. It's important to the early church that everyone, even the people who don't speak like us or look like us or dress like us or come from where we come from or maybe even going where we're going, it's important that as they are included in what God is doing, we care for them just as much as we care for our own. So the early church were given, they paid attention to those who had need, despite cultural, social differences. It's the injunction on us. As we hear God's heart last week through the Old Testament prophets, can we see his practical solution in the New Testament church? Every single one of us given to the needs of others, discovering what they are and meeting them in whatever way we can. That's what marks the early church. A little postscript as I uh, sort of bring this little series into land. Uh, and I'd love you to turn just on a few more pages to the letter to the Galatians. Chapter 2, page 1104. And just to tee this bit up by saying, that uh, this is Paul writing to the church in Galatia and we're not exactly sure of the dates but it's going to be at least a generation on from this incident we've just read in Acts. Uh, Galatians is probably one of the earlier letters uh, written by Paul but um, yeah it would have been a, a good 20 maybe 30 years on from the, uh, the, the, the things that Luke has just been describing and Paul here in um, Galatians 2 he's being sort of slightly autobiographical he's just explaining um, his credentials, if you like, as an apostle of Jesus Christ uh, with a particular anointing to share the gospel, this, this gospel of inclusion, everyone invited in God's love, God's family, uh, but particularly Paul to the Gentiles, those who'd formerly known themselves to be excluded. Traditionally, the people of God, Israel, who had the Old Testament, the Torah, uh, they had all the rules and the law that commanded them with regard to those who were less fortunate themselves. There's, there's so much in God's law, and again, brought out last week, reminded by the prophets, to look after the, the, the widow and the orphan and the, the foreigner and the stranger, the least, the last, the lonely. Um, look after them. 
don't, for example, plough your field right to the edge. Leave a little section so that people can come and just help themselves to the margins of your possession. Just to ensure that everyone has an opportunity to take part, to find some food, to, to find inclusion. The Jews knew that. It was, it was sown into their DNA. So Peter, who is marked out, if you like, as an apostle to the Jews, his role with these Jews who are coming to faith in Jesus Christ is to show them and teach them that inclusion for a Jew means that others are welcome in. You've always been included. You've always been part of God's plan. But now God has extended the portfolio, if you like, and others are included in. Peter was at pains through the church in Jerusalem to demonstrate and show the Jews others are grafted in. Romans 9 through 11, if you want to reference there. But Paul's particular um, anointing was to those who had formerly been excluded and to say to them, they, you, you're part of it, you belong. And here was the, here was the sort of the tension, if you like. And let me, let me tear it up by reading. Um, so the, the first bit of chapter two, he's kind of talking about one or two people who tried to discredit his ministry. And then he says in chapter seven, on the contrary, they saw, sorry, verse seven, chapter two, on the contrary, they saw that I'd been entrusted with the task of preaching the gospel to the Gentiles, just as Peter had been to the Jews. For God, who was at work in Peter as an apostle to the Jews, was also at work in me as an apostle to the Gentiles. James, Kephas, and John, these esteemed as pillars, gave me and Barnabas the right hand of fellowship when they recognized the grace given to me. They agreed that we should go to the Gentiles and they to the Jews. Just pause there a minute. Because between, reading between the lines, what Peter and those called to minister to the Jews are worried about is that Paul will get so locked into preaching the gospel to those who were formerly excluded, the Gentiles, that he'll forget the inherent mandate on all of God's people to include the poor. Jews instinctively knew that from Torah, but the Gentiles, they don't know that. They've never had Torah. They've never had all this, this religion. It's, it's brand new. And in Paul's zeal to see them converted to Jesus Christ, Peter is concerned that he may lose the essential element of what it is to be God's people. So look at verse 10. All, this is Paul writing of Peter. All they asked was that we should continue to remember the poor. The very thing I've been eager to do all along. I mean, if, if we remember nothing else from this whole series, maybe it's just that verse. Galatians 2, verse 10. It says, Peter to Paul, these two amazing leaders in the early church, and Peter with his emphasis, saying to Paul with his, please remember the poor. Remember the poor. If, if you do nothing else in this new movement of God, remember the poor. And look what Paul says. The very thing I had been eager to do all along. Notwithstanding his heart for Gentiles, notwithstanding his heart for apologetics, Acts 17 and, and elsewhere, notwithstanding his heart to see that everyone should see what he has seen, the gospel of Jesus Christ, Paul says, this is the very thing I was eager to do. And so it is for us. Let us not forget the poor, those who are in need any of us who are in need. Let us make it the very thing we're eager to do all along. 
what is our response? In, in one sense, our response is, is I, I hope, a kind of slow burn, ongoing thing. I've been delighted, if I, if I may say, by um, just some of the feedback, some of the things that uh, you, you've just fed back to me, indicating stuff that's kind of stirring. And for some of you, and actually for me, I'd account myself in this, I'm, I'm not quite sure that I can bring to clear articulation, okay, what does this mean for me or for us? other than some kind of shift so that people would say of us as they said of the New Testament church they don't forget those who are poor uh, to that end we've got this lunch booked in it's, uh, it feels like years away now uh, 20th of May but it's really just to give time Sunday the 20th of May we're hoping the sun is going to be shining we'll, we'll perhaps fire up the barbecue in the vicarage garden and, and we just love you know any who wants you to come it, it could, if it's five of us or 50 uh, fantastic We'll sort out the logistics later on. But the idea is that we just gather. And even if it's just there's a stirring, there's something there. I, I want my life to count, to make a difference in this regard, to, to pay attention to those of us who are disadvantaged in some way. Yeah, I want to be part of that conversation. So Sunday the 20th of May, um, wherever it is, if it's sunny, we'll be outside. Otherwise, we'll probably be in here for a kind of a, a working lunch around these issues. But I've loved, you know, hearing the response over the last few months. People who've been, for example, signing up to Crosslight, which is the Death Advice Centre based at St Paul's Hammersmith and elsewhere. We've got about, I think there's five or six who've now completed the training. Um, Conan McKenzie, who's uh, a member of us here, he is going to be running a little pilot course called the Money Course. It's just going to be a two-hour session with a view to then doing it over three evenings in the summer uh, just to help anyone, you know, anyone with budgeting. Uh, we all or well, most of us anyway, find that a challenge from time to time. So it's not as if you're in heavily in debt uh, or an issue with, with money itself. You just want help uh, to, to make ends meet and to steward your resources well. So the money course is something that we're going to be running over the summer term and uh, we'll give more details when we've got the precise dates. But it, that's open to anyone and a great thing to do and then to kind of pass on to others. More immediately, uh, lots of things centering around food bank. And I'm going to invite Jason. Jason and Vicky are our kind of champions with Food Bank. But Jason, come grab a mic off uh, Lydia. And just tell us some of the ways in which we can be involved with uh, the local food bank here. That should be on. Yeah, yeah. Um, yep, there's quite a few ways to get uh, involved with Food Bank. But just give you a bit of background of what Food Bank is. Uh, so we're working with uh, the Food Bank for Fulham and uh, Hammersmith. And what we're doing uh, at the food bank is uh, providing food for those who can't afford uh, to, to buy groceries to, to cook for themselves. Um, and these are people who are referred onto the food bank from other um, organizations, say schools or social services. Um, and to give a kind of some statistics of what the need is with food bank, um, in 2017, um, the number of clients served by the food bank has increased by 72% from the previous year um, and that is kind of roughly uh, equated to 72.3 tons of food distributed to just our area um, so the need is great which means that kind of it's it's down to us and it's kind of our responsibility as a church to kind of help us help out where we can um, so there's a few things going on during Easter um, the first thing is the uh, holiday club who are looking for a few volunteers to help out either cook um, or run activities. So th this, e this holiday club is for uh, kids up to primary school age and also their parents are going to be there. 
So this will be on a Wednesday or a Friday. Um, so you need a, f a few volunteers for that. And this will be at uh, Christchurch Fulham, which is just down the road from us. Um, the next thing was uh, Eat Well, Spend Less is a program, again, which is about um, teaching others to use what little food that they can afford, um, most eco economically. So this will be looking for someone who maybe has a little bit more free time, um, say on one afternoon for six consecutive weeks. So you'll be taught yourself um, how to cook all these great nutritious meals for cheap, which is always good. And then you'll be passing this knowledge on to those uh, who are clients of the food bank. Um, and more immediately next week um, on Saturday, so Saturday the 24th, we're running a food bank collection at um, Sainsbury's Fulham between 10 a.m. and 4 p.m. Um, and we'll be running this in three shifts of two hours. So what we're doing there is we're talking to uh, the customers at Sainsbury's, telling them about the food bank and pointing them to the items of food that we are desperately needing. Uh, it sounds quite daunting, but between you know, four hours that we did just prior to Christmas, uh, and the Jones is going to test, we, we collected uh, 600 kilos of food in four hours, which is pretty amazing. Yeah. Um, yeah, so don't be too nervous. God will kind of equip you with every, everything you need. E even if it's just, because there's leaflets, isn't it? Yeah. So even if you just hand out a leaflet. To Absolutely. Someone. And it really helps to be, uh, we're trying to be specific with guiding, to pe guiding people to exactly what we're needing. Um, and then finally, uh, this can apply to everyone. Um, even I know myself, it's, uh, I'll, you know, you listen to uh, the sermon and you feel great, I'm going to donate some food, but then it comes to Sunday just before church and you just completely forget. Um, so what I've done is I've set up a text reminder uh, that goes out every Saturday. Uh, I've already had 50 people sign up for text reminders and I'll text you personally um, to tell you what items we do need and then, you know, that kind of gives you the impetus or the reminder to bring the food in. And that has made such a great uh, difference. Um, it's, it's so heartening to see pretty much at, at uh, you know, every Sunday that we come that the back of the church is completely full uh, of food. And this morning I've taken away seven shopping bags full of food and it's filling up already. So that's really amazing. So um, just recap, yeah. um, eat well, spend less, uh, holiday club, um, the collection next Saturday and also uh, talk to me if you want to be put in for a text reminder. Wonderful. Jason, thank you so much. Let's give Jason a hand. <laughs> uh, I realise that only one or two of us maybe can do the holiday club stuff. We're not available, other commitments, but uh, a number of us could turn up next Saturday. Uh, it's on Townmead Road. You know, the massive Sainsbury's on, on Townmead Road by Swansea Bridge Road. Uh, and that time will fly. And uh, you, the response you get, I've done it before, the response you get is always positive. Very few people say no. Uh, they maybe sort of blank you a bit. But most people contribute. And we can make a difference there and then to people's lives. Uh, and every one of us could get a text reminder. And so that our little, playing our little part in the immediate term to ensure that people in need have their needs met. We can be an authentic New Testament church. The praise of God. Amen. Amen. I'll hand over to Lydia.